a counseling pastor uh, and, and family ministries pastor. He mm-hmm. wears a couple different hats at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Um, he is... Uh, he's been there for 15 years, um, has a PhD and a MDiv in Bill Counseling, um, and he is the author of this book, She's Got the Wrong Guy, uh, which is uh, Why Smart Women Settle is the subtitle. And I, would it be fair to say why smart men settle, even though that there's... No, 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 really. okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to ask you more about that. I'll wait till the <laughs> Q&A. Uh, but he wrote, a, he, he wrote the book on dating. So um, we're looking forward to, to hearing him speak, but also I'm, I'm really looking forward. Deepak has been a, a, a dear friend, a, a, a brilliant man, um, that when there's a problem and I'm, I don't know what to do, I can say, hey, Deepak, can you help? And he said, yeah, call me. I'm, I'm available right now. And I, I appreciate his willingness to serve me, and I'm thankful that he is here to serve us today. So please warmly welcome Deepak Reggie. Hello. You should have a handout, or you, if you don't have one, feel free to grab. There were some in the back there. The first part has a looser outline, the first hour. It's a it's, it's briefer outline. The second hour, it's a more detailed outline. So you're going to probably have to take a little bit more notes on this first part overall. But we're going to talk about relationships. Uh, I was single for the first 30 years of my life. I've been married for the last 21 years of my life. So I have three decades of experience. <laughs> But I pastor a church filled with singles. Uh, 20 and 30-year-olds dominate our congregation in a good way. Uh, we, we, um, we talk a lot about dating and a lot about what you want to do with your life uh, as we come alongside couples. And really, you know, as a counseling pastor, the, uh, uh, my daughter the other day asked me, like, what's the funnest part of your job? I thought, what a great question. Uh, I think... It's the dating and premarital stuff that's the most funnest part because two faithful Christians who want to honor Christ and figure out how to build a life together. And I get to be a part of that. I get to walk alongside of them and think through what does faithfulness and singleness look like if the Lord calls you to that for your entire life? And then what does faithfulness and dating and marriage look like? if the Lord calls you to that too. And so what I want to do the first hour, I want to think through singleness and relationships. If you're single, what does it mean to be in community together? And in your role as single, how how do you relate to everybody? So we're going to think a little bit about the foundations, the theological foundations. First, a few key ideas we have to keep in mind. And then I want to think through the different kinds of relationships that you have, what it means as a single to relate to different, different folks within the church. The, the second hour, we're going to do the dating stuff. Mm, that's the stuff everybody wants to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk particularly about chemistry and compatibility. Uh, we're just think through those. Uh, there, there are things that everybody talks about. But I think, is there a way that we can think about them more radically as Christians? How do we think through some of those things? So, if you've got your hand out, we're going to start by spending a few minutes thinking through a few basic concepts that lay the groundwork for us thinking about singleness. The foundation for Christian relationships is based on the unity that we have through faith in Christ. Christ is the ground for any and every Christian friendship. Christians can no more be alien or strangers to one another any more than the nose is alien and stranger to your face. If we have unity in Christ, no matter how long we've been apart, we have something in common, which is our Savior. Think about what the Bible says about this as our unity as Christians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Or John 17, 20, Jesus prays, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So as Christians, because we're united in Christ, we are by by definition in relationship with one another. That union to Christ when we're in community puts us in a place where we're connected to one another within community. When you think about relationships in your church, what is in your mind the binding factor? Is it a particular gathering? 
Is it a particular activity? Well, what is it that you think is the binding factor? Common interests, common activities, common stage of life. Church can shape a lot of things around common factors that make us feel like, oh, we've got a lot of things in common with each other. And yet the primary thing that should always unite us is our relationship with Christ. Second thing, the goal of relationships. Spurring one another on in greater faith, love, self-sacrifice, and maturity. While many singles will struggle with loneliness, it is wonderful to have friendships in which you can share not only the Christian relationships, but be able to spur one another on in greater faith and love and sacrifice and maturity. Think about how the Bible describes these things in terms of key elements in relationships. Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. And then John 15, 12 and 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no, has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith and and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. A good way to understand the goal and expectations of Christian relationships is to do a short study of the one another texts. You know, what are the one another texts in the Bible? They're texts that describe a relationship of one Christian to another. And they simply trace out, what are we supposed to do as we're relating to other believers in in the faith? They're a good way to describe what our responsibility is if we profess to be Christians. And third thing you see there, the nature of Christian relationships is family-like relationships. In thinking about the nature of these Christian relationships in a church, we describe as families-type relationships. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes to Timothy, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So in the church, we treat each other as family family members, brothers and sisters in Christ. So the obvious question is, what do brother and sister relations look like? You know, what what, what are they? What, what, What is it supposed to be practically when we get together and we do church with one another? Is it a business-type relationship where we're more formal and transactional? No, that's certainly not it. Uh, Is it just simply being a mere acquaintance because I'm really scared to get close to other singles, especially those of the opposite? No, it shouldn't be that either. Well, what is it then? Well, I think this text helpfully describes to us a number of the different elements, and let's walk through it and think about it together. How do you treat, how should a man treat a woman as if she's a sister in Christ? Or how should a woman treat a guy as if he's a brother in Christ? What does it look like? Here's what Paul says. First, with care, concern, service, and self-sacrifice. We should be concerned for each other about our physical and spiritual well-being. As family members, we should treat each other with great care. How's that demonstrated? By protecting the reputation of our fellow brothers, sisters in Christ. We shouldn't be gossiping about one another. We shouldn't be talking about each other behind each other's back by going out of the way to serve one another. So I, what I love in our community is how the opposites, the, the differences between men and women, uh, th- how they don't stop men and women from figuring out ways to serve one another. So for example, Andy Jones, a single guy, just became one of our lay elders. And part of what brought attention of Andy to us as elders was the number of women who said he faithfully serves us. Andy's the kind of guy where if your truck is broken down or your car's broken down, you know that if you call him, he'll show up and help you fix a tire. 
He's the kind of guy where you've got to move. As, you know, we're in the city. People move often that you need somebody to help move a couch out. He'll show up and do that. And you think, oh, but he's a, you know, he's a well-bit, good-looking, attractive guy. <laughs> and there are probably a lot of women who think, oh, is there something more than that? <laughs> He's moving my couch. Surely there's something more than that. No, there isn't. (laughs) No, there isn't. He's honestly just trying to serve the sisters. He's honestly just trying to be a Christian by being faithful and showing up when somebody needs help. That's what drew our attention to him. The number of sisters in the congregation that said, oh yeah, Andy's an elder quality man. (laughs) We've seen how he's faithfully served the sisters in this congregation. So service, service and sacrifice, is that characteristic of how you treat one another. In a typical family, we'll do things for each other that we wouldn't do or expect anyone else to do. You know, I I fly out of the, um, the, there's three different airports in D.C., and uh, sometimes on a trip, you know, you have to pick a particular flight that begins at a really ungodly hour. Something where you think no human being should be up at this hour, let alone flying out of an airport. And who do you pick to take you there? (laughs) You probably lean on family, (laughs) because you know they'll make that kind of sacrifice for you. You know that they'll actually get up at an ungodly hour to get you to the airport in order for you to get off on your flight. Second, with interest and knowledge, genuine family members are engaged with each other. They're not emotionally distant relationships require some kind of knowledge. In fact, it's nearly impossible to have a relationship without any knowledge. Generally, knowing each other's lives is critical to having brother and sisterly relations with one another. Third, with encouragement to grow spiritually. You know, I said this this morning. I need you and you need me in order for us to journey together. In order for us to survive as fellow members in a local church, We actually need each other so that we can actually make it to glory together. It's a basic part of what it means to be a Christian. So if we're a Christian family, our greatest priority should be to help each other grow in Christ. Because we're all headed to the same destination. And we've got to help one another get there. We want the gospel to be central to our family relationships. And so we want to, above everything, everything else about all the things we could do want to help each other grow spiritually i i i I don't i don't i don't know who you are but if i'm a member with you i want you to become more like christ because that's what the bible says we should do fourth with love knowledge without love makes love sometimes useless Um, so it would be easy to try to manipulate relationships to meet our needs, but our goal should be to show self-sacrificial love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that makes all the difference. Love. No one wants to be a project. You know what I mean by that? You know, I'm not going to befriend you as a fellow single just because I see you're needy and you need help. You, you, you get those kind of relationships where somebody's showing up and helping me out just because they feel sorry for me. That's just not a real relationship. <laughs> no, in fact, you know, uh, if, if, you, if I know you love me, if I know you're committed to my good, if I know you deeply care about my well-being, if I know you're committed to me growing spiritually, then I'm open. I, I'm an open door now. I really am going to welcome you in and be, welcome you to be a part of my life. Uh, if I know you love me, then you can say anything to me. I'm open for you to speaking up. But if I'm not confident that you love me, uh, I'm probably going to keep some space. I'm going to keep some distance between the two of us. So, with love is important. And then finally, with purity. Paul says at the end of the verse, to treat with each other with absolute purity. Paul knows that sexual sin is a real danger, so he urges men and women to be careful about how they live with each other. He wants our relationships in the family God to be characterized by purity 
and holiness. Unless someone in the church is your spouse, they're to be treated as you would your own biological brother or sister. They're a family member. They're a brother and sister in Christ. Now look at the list I just gave you. How much does this list describe your Christian relationships? Especially if you're single. How how much does this describe the different dynamics and the relationships that you have right now? And where does it potentially need to change in order for you to live out what Paul describes there in 1 Timothy chapter 5? The next, you see, the priority of Christian relationships is membership in a local church. Our Christian relationships are not contextless. While it is perfectly fine to get to know Christians at work or at school, to be involved in parachurch organizations where we build lots of good relationships, the healthiest and most helpful context for these relationships is a local church. So we want the church to be a spiritual community where we're all able to grow in faith in Christ together, where we're all able to grow in greater love for one another. And that's what membership is. It's a self-conscious commitment to this local group of believers in this particular community. Our church covenant, as CHBC's church covenant, has a couple of lines that I, I think are really useful in describing what I want for the singles in our church, in their relationships with one another and with everyone else within the church. We'll walk together in brotherly love as becomes the member of a Christian church, exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We'll rejoice in each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We'll walk together in a continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doc- doctrines. And you notice, I highlighted under, underneath that, when I work through the covenant, I always highlight the words, together, each other, and one another. Look at how often that shows up. Together and each other statements underscore this is a corporate activity. It's other-directed. We're doing this as a community together. So too many relationships essentially are are not corporate. They're not other-directed. In fact, they're very individualistic. Individualism is... is, um, is a dreadful way to live in this society. From a a very early age, the culture tells us to be your own person. And individualism, foster, I got to make something of myself and I got to do something with my life. But Christianity thinks very differently. I need you and you need me, I think is the basic DNA of the Bible. Because it says, I can't survive, I can't do this on my own. Now, you look at these church covenant lines, they're not gendered statements. While there certainly are some wise distinctions we should make based on gender, these statements are not intended to be lived out in gender-based silos. Uh, For the covenant to be lived out and for us to have meaningful relationships, there has to be a meaningful contact with all types of Christians. So there must be brotherly and sisterly relationships between different members, single and married, young and old, men and women. So anonymity and alienation, I think, are an anathema within a church. It just should not exist. Not only are the relationships encouraged, but we think it's a beautiful gift from God through faith in Christ that we have fellowship as a church with one another across all those boundary lines. Now, you've been in different church communities where, you know, all the singles hang out with each other over here and all the married people hang out with each other over here. And what's the bridge when the married people ask singles if they'll babysit for their kids? <laughs> That's when we hear from the married people, right? <laughs> so, you know, it, it blew me away when I arrived at the church 
and there was this couple with, you know, several kids in junior high and high school, and on their vacation, they booked two weeks. It's Dean and Margaret Kaplan. One week was just for their family. The second week, same house, was the house packed with singles from the church. It was just amazing. <laughs> like they had a whole week and they had all kinds of singles hanging out with them at the beach. It was paradigm shifting for me because I thought, wait, they're over here and they're over here and it has nothing to do with babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wasn't expecting that at all. So what did we do? I said to my wife, can I try that too? <laughs> She's like, sure, we're here for ministry. Let's go ahead and figure this out. <laughs> so the first year we went away and we figured it out as a family. But then the second year, we started inviting singles for the first part of our vacation. And let me tell you, our kids love it. They love it. <laughs> so they rebel now. <laughs> if we don't have singles with us or couples without kids with us on our family vacation, it's just a normal part of what we do as a family. We build bridges like that because we're a community together. So, you know, what do we want? We want the walls to come down. Alienation, anonymity is an anathema. Cliques are an anathema. Staying in our own specific stages of life are an anathema. The walls have to come down because we want to be relate across the board to each other in a church. So, you know, some of the sweetest memories of my kids are our relationships with a number of the singles within our church. E each one of my older four children at different stages in our life have been personally discipled by singles in our church. So we, we want to bring the walls down and make sure that we're relating to one another. You know, one of my favorite um, <laughs> kind of... Uh, adventures as a pastor was when Homer, uh, a single African-American guy at that point, a member of our congregation, a junior in one of the colleges, universities in our town in D.C., invited our whole family over for dinner. Okay, now wait, hold on. A single man in college invited a family with three kids to his dorm to feed them dinner. I thought, this is crazy. What's he going to feed us? <laughs> I was expecting to walk in and expect him to serve up cereal on the table. <laughs> but he didn't. You know, even showing up at the dorm, because our kids were younger at that stage, they we're walking onto the floor, and then there, there are a couple of college gals on the hall going, little kids on the dorm, what are they doing here? <laughs> walk in, and he had rice and chicken all cooked up for us. It was an amazing meal. But I love that. Bring the wall down. A college student invited the pastor and his family to his dorm room for dinner. So now you get what I mean. <laughs> you know, I, I want to do this in community with one another. And I want us to have family-like relations with each other. I, I, I want us to be one community together. And sure, you know, there are Saturday nights where I'm getting my kids down, the singles are out doing something together, and I'm looking thinking, oh, I wish I could go bowling with them, but I'm a father, I've got to do my duty. And there are nights where, like, I'm hanging out with my wife and having a wonderful night, and there are singles who are alone, wishing that they were married at this point. We're both looking across the board, looking at each other, recognizing different stages of life. That's normal. And yet that doesn't mean that we can't build our lives into one another as a community. Okay, I want to shift gears now. So we're going to think a little bit differently. So the second part, what I want to do, is now I want to think, as a single adult, how do you relate to different groups within the church? What does it look like in relating to specific different groups? So start by thinking about relating to others of the same sex. A lot of blessings in relating to others of the same sex. Uh, same sex, single adults. It's a blessing to have others going through similar life issues and struggles, like identity questions, work development issues, struggles with sexual temptation, and just have others to be in the trench with you and sort through life together. 
It's great to have others to just have fun with, to enjoy fellowship, share common interests, get support and encouragement from one another. It's great to have others to relate to that just have more freedom like you do. So, you know, on, on a, uh, after Bible stu- or midweek Bible study on Wednesday nights, I got to go home and I got to help get kids down to bed. It's a normal part. I got to help the teenagers with certain things. I just got to go home and be a dad, be a good and faithful dad. It's not unusual for the singles to actually go over to Patrick's house on either Wednesday night or Sunday night, and Patrick usually has something cooked up and a bunch of them hang out together. I'm like, I'm an extrovert. I'd love go hang out with them. <laughs> but I have a responsibility, and a good responsibility as a father and a husband to be, be at home. So it's wonderful to have others who have the kind of freedom to be able to hang out and do things like that. A downfall in relating to other single adults So, for example, talking to other single adults, generally you have the same amount of wisdom (laughs) because you're at the same life stage. (laughs) So there's a downfall with that. Unless you are talking to a single adult who's a decade or two ahead of you, generally have less wisdom available because you just haven't experienced all the things in life there is to experience. Why do I bring this up? Because a lot of singles in our church, because they're in their 20s and their 30s, end up spending a lot of time in getting advice from each other. And while that's fine, especially since a lot of it is godly and good advice, there is limited wisdom. If you're 23 talking to another 23, 24, 25-year-old, there is limited wisdom. There's a big difference than in talking to a 35, 45, 55, and I loved it that there was an 88-year-old here. And he came up and asked me really thoughtful questions about discipling. What was his name? Oh, okay. <laughs> Whoops, I just blew it. <laughs> Don't tell him I told you. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would love him to be in our congregation. I would just love to have someone who's an, an older generation pouring into the 20 and 30-year-olds. So, there are also particular temptations that can be attached to certain stages of life. And only to relate to those who are struggling with the same things may make things worse. For example, you know, uh, internet pornography, uh, pornography in general, is a common struggle right now. Not just for men, but also a growing number of women are struggling with it. And so, as we think about internet pornography, if you're just relating to the other singles in your church, who are also struggling with it, that is actually unwise. First of all, like you're going to be softer on one another than you really need to be because you're struggling with the same problem. Secondly, you need to have someone who's not struggling with it and someone who's moved beyond that stage, who can look back and understand the temptations of this stage of life and knows what it means to walk faithfully to the next stage or stage is in regards to the single life. Or, you know, uh, let's just take the, the category of young men or young women who are in their 20s or 30s and are really desiring to be married. Especially if you are growing to be bitter about the fact that maybe you haven't been asked out in a while and you get together with other women who actually are also struggling with it, it can unhealthily become a pity party. And you begin to reinforce things that you shouldn't be reinforcing with one another. Okay, relating to the opposite sex, single adults. So when, when I first taught this lesson and we were uh, talking to singles in our congregation, you know, we, we talked a lot about dating originally as we started teaching classes for our singles. We didn't talk a lot about friendship in the Christian life. And some of our singles unhelpfully took that as a a, a denunciation of friendship amongst folks who are the opposite sex. And I was like, no, 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 please do not think that. (laughs) Do not think that at all. Uh, We think it's good for single men and women to have brother and sisterly relations within a local church. We think it's an important witness to the rest of the world that, you know, I don't have to have a romantic relationship with a guy for us to have a healthy relationship with one another. It it is actually possible for us to have good relations with each other. 
So what is a Christian friendship between a single man and woman? What does it mean to have brother and sisterly relations? Well, the temptation is to treat men or women only as a potential spouse and only have casual relationships or disregard them altogether. If you approach the opposite sex through the lens of, am I interested or not? And that's the only lens in which you approach it, you are doing a complete disservice to everything I'm describing here. Your first and foremost disposition is to treat the opposite sex as a brother and sister in Christ, not a potential spouse. Now, does that describe you? Do you approach the opposite sex as a potential mate, or you more fundamentally think of them as a brother and sister in Christ? Family-type relationships. If you're not all sure how, uh, uh, how or what a biblical friendship with the opposite sex might look like, then I just want to consider the possibility for a second. Now, I put there on your handout this little thing I call the, the single friendship continuum. I just want to describe what it is. It's, it's a continuum, so it portrays a spectrum, and the extremes are where the problems are. So you go to the, 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 uh, the right side, it's the paranoid. What do I mean by that? You're scared of rejection, either because you've been rejected often or because you're fearful that you don't engage. Uh, you hear so much language about protecting the other person's heart that you're very conservative about engaging the opposite sex overall apart from maybe casual conversations at church or in group settings. Uh, you put most folks in the category of, I'm not interested in them as a future spouse category, so you don't waste your time even relating to them. So that's the paranoid. Go all the way to the other side, the promiscuous. So you see everyone who's attractive in the interested category, so you do everything you can to flirt with them when opportunities provided, either in person or in Facebook or texting or email or Snapchat or any means possible to communicate, hey, I'm interested. Or you just like the attention of the opposite sex, and so you're a flirt. And you engage in ways that might lead them to think you're interested, but you just really like the attention. You don't really consider that you may be leading them on. Well, what's the middle? The biblical balance means treating every single of the opposite sex as a brother and sister in Christ. That is the 1 Timothy 5.1 approach that I'm advocating here. This could include good things like protecting their heart, but a guarding of the heart emotionally and spiritually doesn't mean the only other option is disengage. You can relate to them in a pure, a prayerful, holy, self-sacrificial, and Christ-honoring way as a friend. What helps is to get around, uh, it, it, what helps to get in our mind is that this biblically balanced 1 Timothy 5 category, it, it actually is not only possible, but for us to figure out, what does this look like? Because a lot of times I get to this point, and they said, okay, I haven't seen this before, or I, I don't know what to do, or what on earth do you mean practically? Let me give you some examples. Things I've seen in terms of friendship-promoting behavior between men and women in our own local church. Men try to lead spiritually-focused conversations at lunch after church. So I love how a number of singles will grab lunch together at a restaurant, and rather than just hang out and talking to whoever, a guy will say, okay, well, uh, let's, let's talk through what you got out of the sermon. And they'll have a fruitful conversation with each other about what they, what they just heard at church. A men walk women home when it's not safe to be alone. So we live, we live and work in downtown D.C., so late at night, it's not good for a single woman to be walking home by herself. So a guy will volunteer, and what, 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 what she's got to do is not presume there's a romantic interest just because he walked to her home, but presume good intentions that he's just being a brother in Christ, trying to make sure I'm safe. 
both men and women uh, have more than surface level conversations. They're, they're willing to say more than just, how was your day? But say, how can I pray for you? And, and, and think through things like that. Men and women are not scared to cover a wide variety of topics, but are sensitive to the topics that should only be talked about with others of the same sex. Men and women demonstrate hospitality and facilitate group events that encourage men and women, single men and women, and couples and families all to be together. So I like it in the spring when you see a group gathered in our church parking lot and they're, say, going apple picking or strawberry picking. And you can see singles and marrieds, little kids and seniors, they're all there. <laughs> they're all there going on the trip together. And it's a great thing that they're all willing to hang out together and take that time. Uh, single men help single women with tasks that would be difficult on their own. Like I said earlier, with the example of, of Andy moving a couch, fixing a carburetor, or other things like that. Single men or women write thank you notes to one another. And the list goes on and on of other things that we see single men and women do with each other. You know, what, what I love is uh, we have a, a Christmas tea event where the ladies have uh, someone speak. They bring out all their fine china. Uh, it's an evangelistic event to invite their, their girlfriends uh, from work or the community there. There's a person, there's a member who gives an evangelistic message uh, at that. But what they do so that the women can all attend, they sign up a bunch of men to actually be doing the service, you know, bringing up the food, waiting the tables, other things like that. Can I tell you, you how many non-Christian women are shocked at all these men running around with teacups and plates and cookies and everything else like that to serve the women of the church? It's a testimony to the fact that we're a community together. Okay, so shifting gears a little bit. So now I want to cover, well, what about the rest of the community? What does it look like to re relate to families, to seniors, and to children? So families. Uh, the most common excuse I've heard from singles in regards to families is, they always seem so busy. I don't want to be a burden to them. And so therefore, they use those excuses not to take initiative with families within the church and uh, not, not to do anything. But, you know, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers uh, have a Titus II obligation. Older men in the faith should disciple younger men in the faith. Older women in the faith should disciple younger women in the faith. That's what the Bible tells us to do. We see that Scripture outlines for us that those who are younger in age and younger in faith, it's normative and a normal part of the Christian life for them to engage those who are older and older in the faith. This should be the way we live together as a church. This should be normal as a community together. Unfortunately, a lot of church cultures that I engage with, there is the divide I described to you earlier. I mean, singles hang out. But there's not that much investment by the married folks who are older and, and, and uh, older in their faith. And married hang out. But there's not that much of a bridge into their the singles' lives all that much. And so we do want to bring that wall down. Now, you know, if singles spend time with singles and married spend time with marrieds, and really do the two intermix, then we're in trouble. And we want to change the nature of that culture. How do we get to know families in the church if we're single? Well, here's my basic advice. If you don't feel like as a single you have a relationship with a family in the church, then initiate with them. <laughs> Just simply go up to them and say, hey, could I come over sometime and hang out with you? And you might be surprised. Now, you know, some families, they're just kind of overwhelmed right now, and you might get a, a no, not at this season, this is a little hard, or some families, they're not ready, they don't even know what to do when you show up at the door. But some families would be like, sure, come on down. And so, for example, if a, if a young lady called my wife and said, hey, could, uh, could we meet up? Uh, I just would love to ask you some questions, get some input into my life. 
can we meet for coffee tomorrow at Starbucks at two? My wife would laugh. <laughs> I mean, because for many years, she's been homeschooling five kids. She, there is no feasible way for her to break away in the middle of the afternoon uh, to do coffee. But what she'll say is, why don't you just come over, hang out with us. You can hang out with the younger kids while I do homeschooling with the older kids. And then along the way, we'll talk with each other through the entire day. Uh, as we got to CHBC um, almost uh, 15 years ago now, um, Lee Yu at that point, young single woman, literally the week we had moved in, sends my wife an email and says, will you disciple me? We were, we were probably only a few days in, and my wife shows me the email and says, what do I do? I said, well, this is why we're here. <laughs> I think you should disciple her. <laughs> and Lee, uh, I'm going to have to be careful not to tear up. Uh, her and her husband just left for Cambridge. So 15 years later, she gave a very sweet testimony in our evening service about my wife being her best friend. And the two of them are introverted. And the funny part about the, the testimony was how awkward it was in their first few conversations. How they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. <laughs> they both kind of struggled through all the awkwardness of it. But, you know, Lee ended up living with us at three different stages. You know, at a particular season where she didn't know where to go or what to do. Lee doesn't have a great relationship with her father, so I ended up being a father figure in her life. There were seasons where Lee came over and had dinner with us, like, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many nights. And she said the turning point for her in relating to us was when she knew she could come to the back door and she didn't need to knock, she could just come right in. She knew she was a part of our family. And so she was the early adventures in family vacation. She was logically the first, person, first single to invite with us to vacation with us at the beach. And so she came with us for the first few years in hanging out with us. So we've got sweet memories of, of, of time with her. So initiate. You just may never know that 15 years later, you might be giving a testimony that your discipler is now your best friend. That's what God might intend. So two tips. Don't expect families to have the same freedom that you do to meet up outside of the home. So the example I just gave of a young lady initiating with my wife and wanting to meet up for coffee at Starbucks. It's, it's, it's not going to always work that way, and in fact, probably not going to have the freedom to do what we want to do, but rather be flexible uh, and be willing to build, bend around the family schedule. So, you know, I, I'll go out and I'm running an errand, so I'm beyond the stage where, you know, my younger kids would go and do anything with me no matter what I was doing. Now they're older and it's a little too cool to go hang out with dad at the hardware store. Uh, so what do I do? I'll call up one of the, the, the single guys that I'm discipling and said, I got to go run errands for the afternoon. You've been wanting to talk to me. Why don't you just come along? And so a lot of the guys will jump in. <laughs> They'll go to me to, with Costco, hardware store, and we'll talk the whole way as we're doing it. Or, you know, earlier adventures was, uh, I'm a, you know, so soccer dad, often on, on the soccer field on Saturday mornings. And there was one year I was coaching a number of the kids who were the same age as my oldest son on his soccer team. We told a bunch of families, a lot of them signed up, and there I am, you know, coaching half the team, our kids from our church. Uh, and it was great. So Thabiti Anyuile, a pastor who's in Anacostia, his son Titus was on my team. Every Saturday that the BD was there for a game, he always had a single man with him. There's not a single Saturday I can remember him being by himself. So come along, come on, because you know what happens when Titus has a tantrum in that car and the BD has to work through it with Titus in that car with the single man awkwardly sitting there? <laughs> That single man is going to learn a lot more about parenting in that moment than he's ever going to find out in a book. Because that's parenting in real life in 3D. Because <laughs> you're in the car when the tantrum's happening. 
So if you're willing to step into the family's world rather than expect them to come out and meet up with you, you're much more likely to have time to connect with them. And if you're willing to step into their world, you'll get untold blessings. You'll be really surprised at how much you pick up. And I have consistently, consistently, I I have consistently been surprised at what I think is breadcrumbs turns out to be revolutionary for some people, especially if they grew up in a dysfunctional home. So, um, Brady and Ryan Tarr, you know, they're sweet couple. As they were dating, they were coming out over and hanging out with us. And when we were in the younger stages and we're doing family worship in the evenings was us doing stuff individually with each kid at bedtime. So we would, you know, read verses and read a Bible story and then memorize verses and sing a song, just the different things you do with your, your kids. And we do it developmentally specific. So we're reading a Bible story book with this kid, and we're reading a chapter book with this kid. Well, one or two times when they were over for dinner, we invited them upstairs for family worship. Now, Brady's a a pastor down in Alabama, and I ran into him at the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, and he said to me, uh, the, the last time we met up, he said, you know, we still remember watching you guys doing family worship with your kids. And now we're doing it with our own kids. I'm, I, I, again, it's like you were just sitting in the corner of the room. <laughs> and I had a little kid who didn't want to memorize verses. <laughs> and you're watching us do the whole thing. And yet it made an impression on him. So be willing to come along. And you'd be surprised what you're going to pick up. If you're single, what's the one thing you can't learn from your single friends? how to be a family. That's how, how, how do you parent the kids? How do you relationship with the spouse? How do you manage a home? Even if you never get married, that knowledge will make you dramatically more effective as a single Christian within your own local church. At the very least, you'll know how to pray more appropriately for all the married couples within your church and all the parents within your church. If you come from a good Christian family, seeing other families do life helps you to see how similar the biblical principles are, but how very different it look like from family to family. There is not one cookie-cutter recipe. We don't have to all fit into one mold. We have similar principles, but the beauty of it is that it can look different from my family to our, uh, the, the next pastor next to us, the Barnes, the next pastor next to us, the Jamesons. Our relationships and our parenting and all kinds of stuff look different from one another, and that's a good thing. And if you want to build a relationship with the family and you don't know where to start and you're scared to attempt to do this, then you should go ahead and talk with one of the elders or pastors of your church. Just say to them, I, I want to, I don't know where to go. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little secret. You ready? I think the best scheme that singles pulled off in getting connected with our family, a young couple who I had discipled a guy showed up and they said, we're going to make you a deal. We will come over and babysit your kids if you're willing to stay and disciple us afterwards. You don't have to pay for anything. We're going to take care of you so you can get a night out because we want to help you do that but we also need you to invest in us. They ended up doing that for several years. I mean, it it even has a name amongst the singles right now. It's called the Chen Plan. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was Jonathan Chen, a young single guy, who initiated and did that with us. Where, you know, be deliberate. Show up with dinner. What family who's cooking every week is not going to turn down a single who shows up with dinner for the whole family? (laughs) Show up and babysit. But just say, please give me time. Give me a chance to spend time with your family. Give me a chance to get to know you guys and let me find ways to serve you. And you'll be surprised at how many families will say, come on down, come in, come join us. Okay, seniors. You know, while you got to be really concerned with injecting yourself 
into a young family. Older folks have a lot of time on their hands and are, are a blessing to the church and have decades of wisdom to offer you. So we're at a stage where um, it's, it's, it's sad, but a lot of our seniors have gone to be with the Lord. And so we don't have that many elderly saints within our congregation left. In fact, I'm officiating a funeral on Thursday for Zita Daniel, who went to be with the Lord two weeks ago, and she died at 99. She had come to our church in the 1940s. She's been a part of the church for a long time. What a gift that is to have older saints who've been with the church for decades. Do you know how much wisdom is waiting to be harnessed by just simply taking the time? And it doesn't have to be visits. It could be just regularly pick up the phone and call. You know how, it, uh, what, what a wonderful thing that is for someone to have that kind of phone call from someone who's younger, who's interested in having a thoughtful and a Christ-centered conversation. So take advantage of that. You know, one of my favorite memories is Mr. Rob. Uh, I was a high schooler in a small Presbyterian church in middle, in, in, in middle to northern New Jersey, and uh, as a high schooler who was a part of the youth group and starting to come to church more regularly, and Mr. Rob was an elder in our church. He was probably in his mid to late 70s at the point I got to know him. And he started saying to me, well, on Saturdays, if you're free, you're coming with me. I didn't know at first what I was doing. <laughs> and it turns out we went to this nine-hole, kind of halfway between putt-putt golf and real golf course that was not too far away from us. And so we would go, he'd pay for it. I was really bad, but I played with him. And then we went out to lunch afterwards every time we went. I grew up without grandparents being around. What a blessing that was for me as a high schooler to hang out with a 70-something-year-old man who'd been in our church for decades. I was just too ignorant as a high schooler I just thought he was paying for free golf and a free lunch. <laughs> so I was there. What I didn't know is that he was investing in my life and taking an initiative with me to help me. And then the children. The children, you know, the, the, the best opportunities that you have, no matter where you're at in life. And, I, and I'm saying that to you because I love that there are teenagers here and high schoolers here no matter where you're at in life, to invest in the young ones entrusted in your own local church to find a way to help out. Now, I'll say this particularly to singles. Um, Paul Miller is a professor at Georgetown University now. He came to our church as a single. And as a single, at one point, he realized, you know, I do want to get married one day, and I do want to be a father and have children. And children's ministry is a great place to practice on other people's children. <laughs> An opportunity to hang out with kids and get to know kids, to figure out how to talk to them and invest in them. So Paul changed his first diaper in children's ministry. I can't tell you how many single guys have changed their first diaper in children's ministry. So, yeah, I mean, I, I joke around about that, but I tell that story just to illustrate, like, Oh, yeah, well, do you desire to be married one day? I mean, a lot of you as young ladies will have babysat. A lot of you as young men will have never done that. And yet you both can serve the church. And what a great way not to just serve the families, but to serve the children. There, there are countless stories that I hear of adults as, as part of my job of hearing people uh, as they join the church recall their conversion for us of people recalling their Sunday school teachers and the impact that they had on their life. That could be you. That actually could be you. And if you can learn how to explain the gospel clearly to children, you can learn to explain it to anyone. So consider the children of the church. I mean, the, the children's ministry staff didn't pay me to ask you to consider to volunteer. 
It's an unsolicited message by me to encourage you to think about what a wonderful ministry that is. What a wonderful opportunity that is. So that's the stuff I wanted to lay out for you in terms of relating to different aspects of the church, the different folks within your own local congregation. Let's pause and just take a couple minutes. Anybody have questions on this first part of our time together? Ask you a question, Deepak? Yes. Uh, Opposite gender... Uh, single folks hanging out with one another. How do you, like any, any guidelines for maintaining that kind of biblical friendship lens? Like you should, would you say that it's, it's unwise to be just a, a single man and a single woman together engaging in a biblical friendship, grabbing coffee at Sola? Like any guidelines there that you might recommend? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Like typically what you're doing is we, we encourage our singles to try and make sure uh, that they're as much as possible in these kind of group settings with each other because that reduces the emotional intensity uh, of the relationships. It gives you freedom to build relationships without feeling the pressure uh, that's there if it's just the two of us. And try to be really careful about gatherings outside of that. So if you're getting together a guy and a gal just by yourselves, there's some intentionality in that. If it's not outside of the examples I gave of like Andy, like coming to fix your carburetor or helping to move a couch. There's a kind of intensity that begins to imply things, even if you haven't said anything. And so you just want to be a lot more careful. A little bit different then, so it doesn't have to be a group setting of singles. You know, there there were pre-COVID, we had certain Wednesdays where we had multiple singles knew they had an open invitation to come over. And so I'm, I'm glad for that because they're all coming over and I've made clear to them, I'm not matchmaking with any of you. <laughs> you just all happen to be friends of our family and you're all coming over to hang out. So if something happens between the two of you, it's not my fault. <laughs> I'm just trying to be friendly with you all and give you a chance to hang out with the family. And so you do want to be able to take advantage of those situations And just be careful in smaller contexts not to read in more than that is intended. That's part of the danger zone, which begin to imply things or read into things, analyze things in a way that's not ever intended, and you get yourself in trouble. So as much as you can, safer settings where it's not the intensity of just the two of you, where it's a group setting or a family setting or picnic setting or whatever else there is. But even in the group settings, be really careful because in every group setting, if the two of you are talking to each other and hanging out by yourselves the whole time, (laughs) then, well, I mean, you might as well just have hung out with each other. (laughs) So the point is to have a friendship, but to have a friendship with everybody (laughs) when you're taking the time to do that. Yeah, kind of in the same context of, of relationships between guys and gals in single um, contexts. You gave some great examples like Andy and, and even the Valentine's tea or the Christmas tea. What are some ways that you've seen some of the single women reach out and serve, you know, in, in other ways in, in the same, you know, idea that Andy's going after? Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, different, different things like, uh, for example, um, uh, uh, so single women, um, <laughs> generally compared to our men, because I've eaten a lot of the men's cooking, are better in terms of uh, meals. <laughs> uh, so serving guys, you know, when, when, uh, when guys get injured, when guys actually get into accidents, um, showing up with a meal with no, you know, no implications beyond, I just want to make sure you're fed, <laughs> make sure you're okay. Um, being able to do joint ventures, so a lot of the singles will do like joint hikes, you know, joint camping trips. And some of the guys are pretty good at organizing. A lot of the guys are pretty bad. (laughs) (laughs) So if it's the single guys all left to bring all the proper equipment, I'm a little scared of what would actually happen. (laughs) So there's a lot of uh, helpful attention to detail when it comes to different kinds of trips. Now, some of our singles will venture out and do things like they'll do a trip overseas together, but they'll be thoughtful in how they do it. You know, they're staying in saying separate hotels or other things like that to protect anything inappropriate. 
But, you know, somebody's got to organize all that. <laughs> and sometimes it's brothers and sometimes it's sisters, like working together or doing separately to get a group together to do things like that. Um, and then as simple things as, uh, I, 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 not as many men are as good as, as the sisters who are better at often writing like thank you notes, notes of encouragement. Uh, and even we had uh, one or two sisters who in the early years of conversion would write follow-up thank you notes to our preaching pastors explaining to them what they got out of the sermon. It just became a regular thing where a couple of the sisters would write notes to different pastors saying, just thank you for the sermon, just want you to know what I got out of it, and want you to encourage you to keep preaching. Just sweet things like that that are encouragements. It it strikes me that um, there could be a degree of maybe disappointment or even suffering connected to uh, single folks or even Emily and I, that for us to, to practice hospitality with a family, it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare for a family to come to us. We're often going out. We, we often have to serve to even get that invitation to get into the home. If anyone here is feeling a little bit of that disappointment, what would you, what would you say to them? How would you respond? Yeah, so uh, one, talk to the elders and be honest about things that you're struggling with. Talk to the other pastors about the disappointment that's there. Um, uh, that's one and two. Three, pray and look around. I mean, there, there are going to be those who are more open and ready. Some who, you know, this is, this is a foreign topic. <laughs> to bring down that wall, they're not ready yet uh, to do that. They just don't know. And so you want to be patient and pray. Give the, the elders and the church chance to continue to mature uh, to do those things. But the what I said earlier, initiate. <laughs> D- don't, 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 don't presume anything about a family situation, but don't get offended if you get a no. And if you're willing to, to take that balance, I think you'd be surprised at how many situations might pop up in, in, in your, if you're willing to be flexible as you integrate into a family. So that's what I'd say. All right, let's take a five-minute break. It is right now, looks like 2.40, so we'll be back at 2.45.